Thank you, brother. Uh, I just appreciate this brother in Christ. Uh, he, he's enthusiastic about the Lord and his word. And, and I know you're really going to enjoy him today. He's from North Carolina. I'm sure he'll tell you more about his family. So, Pastor Dave, go ahead and share. Thank you. Great. Good morning. This is a day that the Lord has made and we rejoice and are glad in it. Amen. Boy, we've had church today, hadn't we? I tell you what, the Holy Spirit has already met with us in a mighty way. And I look forward to getting into the word and hearing God's word and how the Holy Spirit speaks to us through that word. We're in Ephesians chapter three this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Ephesians chapter three. And I do have a message that's heavy on my heart this morning. Uh, before I begin that, I would, as Pastor Ed said, like to tell you a little bit about what I do. So I have the honor and privilege serving as the Leadership Development Director for the Evangelical Friends Church Eastern Region. I uh, do live in North Carolina. My wife, Emily, is the best wife in the history of wives. We have been married for 16 years, and every day is a pleasure. We have four beautiful kids, Lucy, Maggie, Oliver, and Hope. And um, we live on three acres of, of God's great country in, uh, in the High Point Greensboro area of North Carolina. It's about three and a half hours from here. And... Um, Again, I have the pleasure of serving as the leadership development director. And so what that means is I serve the eastern region, which is our family of congregations, 97 congregations across 14 states and in Canada. And we have churches that are just, you know, across the board in diversity. About 20 of them are non-English speaking. And so among all our congregations, God is praised in seven different languages every Sunday morning. Isn't that wonderful? Um, we have uh, smaller sort of rural congregations, suburban congregations, large urban mega churches. Uh, and again, all shapes and sizes. There's not one right way to do church, you understand. The one thing that we hold in common, friends, is that we are on a gospel mission together. We're on a gospel mission together. Do you feel uh, this morning like the world is on shifting sand? Like things are just kind of chaotic and, and upheaval, friends. We build our ministry on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, which will not be moved. And our family of congregations, and I'm, we talked about battle in one of the songs there, Jody. Uh, we are on the offensive. If you try and win a war from a defensive position, eventually you're going to lose, right? Uh, we as the eastern region... Uh, we believe that we need to advance the gospel, that is, take the gospel to places where it is not, to plant churches, to multiply dis uh, disciples, and to send missionaries all over the world. You, Hanover, my friends, you are part of a big ministry and a big vision of what God is doing in the world. I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'm really going to start preaching, okay? <laughs> uh, we are told as evangelical Christians that the church is past its sell-by date, that it's sort of a, a, people don't really go to church anymore, and that the Christian church is withering, and it's not going to be around anymore, friends. Don't believe one word of that. Jesus told us that he would be the head of his church until the end of the age. And there's no asterisk by that, right? That's not, okay, he'll be the end of the age until COVID, or until the, the war in, in Ukraine, or until this or that. No, until the end of the age. And we know that Scripture tells us that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, right? That he who began a good work in us will carry it on to the day of completion. We believe that, don't we, church? 
So you all are part of a great gospel movement, and I'm honored to be a part of it. Let's ask God's blessing on the preaching of the word. Almighty God, we thank you, Father, for the way your Holy Spirit has already met with us today. Lord, we commit ourselves to you to advance the gospel and to see lives changed and hearts changed and a nation changed. God, we believe that you can do it. Lord, I ask for a mighty anointing over the preaching of the word today. God, I pray that when people leave here shortly... Uh, They wouldn't say, man, we heard a good word from Dave today. I pray, God, that they would say, we heard a good word from you, God. We seek your voice. Our hearts are open. Our ears are open. God bless us, we ask. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. amen, amen. So as I mentioned just a moment ago, I am the proud father of four beautiful children. My oldest is uh, uh, my daughter, Lucy. She's 14, and I feel like in about two weeks, she's going to be 25. She's growing up really, really fast. And she is just like all my kids. She's just a, a beautiful young lady growing into a godly woman. A few years ago, we had a pretty harrowing experience with my oldest, and she was nine years old. Now, we had never had uh, a bump or a scratch or a broken bone or anything like that. And, and we'd just been blessed as a family with good health. And when my daughter was nine years old, we went on a uh, routine trip to the pediatric dentist. And the dentist told us that Lucy had to have a pretty serious operation done uh, with, in, with her mouth. So she just the way that God made her, she has a smaller mouth, but her teeth... Her baby teeth were exceptionally large. And so that was making, number one, her, her mouth really uncomfortable. And it also meant that her permanent teeth weren't going to be able to come in uh, like they needed to. And so the doctor sat us down and said, look, we've got to uh, remove some teeth. And I thought, okay, well, that, that happens. Uh, and she explained it's going to have to be like a full-on like, procedure, like an operation. And then the doctor got to talking about, you know, the anesthetics and you might need to put her to sleep and all the numbing that was going to have to go on. And not to mention, and I don't want to talk about dentist things here at church, but there was going to be some twisting and pulling. You understand? Uh, it, none of this is fun stuff. It's nothing, nothing comfortable. But we took that. We prayed over it. Okay, we can do this. We can handle it. My little daughter, Lucy, she's a brave one. They set the date for about a month and a half out, and um, we knew it was on our calendar. And so leading up to that, we were praying and praying and praying. The day finally came, and my little daughter, Lucy, she marched in with all the confidence uh, of, well, of a Mercadante. She had her shoulders back and her chin up, and she just marched right in there. I was not doing that great that day because it was my firstborn, you know. It's my Lucy. Uh, But she marched in there, and they called us back, and they plopped her in the chair, and I'm sitting there in the corner, and the uh, dental assistants are all there doing their thing, and they put this uh, set of glasses on her eyes, and they put the uh, sort of a a laughing gas over her nose, and they began to give her some injections and things like this, and my daughter, my Lucy, was so brave. They, They leaned her back, and in came the dentist once she was good and numbed up, and the dentist started doing the thing. Turns out she had to have five teeth removed that day. Now, bear in mind, my firstborn, we'd never had a scratch or a bump or anything like that. And the procedure, it's taking a lot longer than I thought it would. Time was just going really slow. And with every uh, tooth that was pulled, the dentist was at Lucy. She'd, she'd ask Lucy, are you okay? You okay? And Lucy would say, yeah, you know, as much as she could. Yeah, I'm okay. And around that second tooth, a little tear began to trickle from her eye. And I can tell you, and I'm not ashamed, several tears began to trickle from my eye, right? Um, And so they 
pull the other one, then the other one, then the other one. By the, the end of it, Lucy's face is swollen and her eyes are red and she's just she's crying. And the dentist sat her up and said, Lucy did a great job, pat her on the shoulder, packed her mouth full and told her to go sit with me. And so Lucy and I there in the, the dentist office, we had us a little moment and she sat on my lap and she cried and I cried and she cried and I cried. It was just a, it was a powerful moment. And so we spent a few minutes doing that, and she composed herself really, really well. Again, nine years old. And I had this moment, sort of, uh, I guess what you would call a dad moment, where I was swelling up with pride. Dad's in the room. Have you ever felt so proud of your kids? Because you see, and and even though they're children, you can see, like, they're going to grow up and they're going to be something, right? They're going to be okay, and I was looking at my daughter, and I thought, she's nine, she's little bitty, she's a tater tot, but she's going to grow up, and she is going to be a remarkable, godly, courageous young woman. And I had this moment just swelling with pride. So I took her by the hand and went and paid the bill on the way out, and that really made me cry, church. i got to tell you, that was, a, that was a hard moment, too. But I'm walking out, and I wanted to do something special for Lucy, you know? I mean, she was a trooper. She was a boss. She did a great job. And I wanted to get her a toy and get her some ice cream and we could watch a movie and just sit on the couch and we'll just make a day of it. Right. And so I'm walking out of the car and I said, I'm going to do something nice for Lucy. And I, I, I knelt down in front of her in the dentist office parking lot and I looked her square in the face. I said, Lucy, honey, I'm so proud of you. My little girl, you can have anything you want in the whole world today. What do you want? Let's let's get you something nice, honey. What do you you can have anything in the world. Where do you want to go? And my little girl, she wiped her eyes, she looked me square in the face. She said, Daddy, I want a dog. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. How do y'all think this story ends? <laughs> we got the dog. We got the dog. We drove to Greensboro. Uh, we went to the pet store. We got a dog. His name is Mr. Biscuit. We still have him to this day. And he is just, uh, he's brought us a whole, whole lot of joy. Side note to that story, my wife now takes the kids to the dentist appointment. She didn't let me take them anymore. The reason that I love to tell that story is because my daughter, even in a moment of trial, trouble, and pain, she had a vision for what she wanted. She had a picture of a preferred future. She knew she wanted something. And even though her body hurt and her mouth hurt, she took advantage of it. Literally. Okay, let me say that again. She took advantage of it. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, kids do that easily, don't they? Right? I mean, think back, you know, when you were a kid. And you had a big vision for what you wanted to do with, in your life, right? I remember I used to be, want, to, want to be a catcher for the New York Mets, right? And that was some weeks. And uh, other weeks I wanted to be a cowboy. Other weeks I wanted to be an astronaut. When we are young, we have this big vision of what we can do with our life because we've got the whole world in front of us. And then, and this happens naturally, it's not necessarily a terrible thing, but over the course of years, we lose that sense of wonder and that sense of vision, don't we? You know, we quit somewhere along the way. Come on, adults. Somewhere along the way, we quit dreaming. And I tell you, the same thing is true in our spiritual life. Right. So when we are spiritual infants, 
when we are newly born again, we have a vision, don't we? We are on fire for the Lord. And we want everybody to know about this great gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember uh, I, I was born into a, a friend's church in High Point, North Carolina, and I went to that church every single week. And I loved going to church, but I never really heard the gospel when I was when I was growing up. When I was 17 years old, I went on a youth retreat with a busload of Baptist youth. We went to North Myrtle Beach into a retreat center. And there that week, friends, I heard the gospel presented clearly and I gave Gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I remember in that moment feeling that supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's like when you're when you're laying down and you're, you're about to fall asleep and somebody just puts a big old comforter, comforter or blanket over you and you just feel that warmth. If you've ever been alone in a room and somebody else just walks into the room, they don't even say anything, but you can feel that presence. Friends, when I was 17 years old, the religion with which I was raised became a relationship with God. God through Jesus Christ, I had known uh, the 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 law, right, the rules. But friends, I came to know the lawgiver. I was set free from the spiritual captivity that we are all born with. And because God is merciful, because God is great, because God is abundant in his love, because he so loved the world, he inspired me in my in my heart through the presence of the Holy Spirit where I could receive Jesus Christ. And I was spared the righteous condemnation from a holy God that we all deserve. Friends, I was saved. Hallelujah. Right. That is good, good news. And I came out of that retreat like a cannon. Like, I mean, I was ready. I wanted everybody to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wanted to make sure my family knew it, my neighborhood, even people at church who seemed a little humdrum. I began to tell them about Jesus. Right. And I would imagine when you were newly saved, you had that same sort of fire, didn't you? You had that same sort of of courage and bravery. But then. Just like when we're kids, something happens, right? The course of life happens, and somewhere along the way, Scripture tells us this happens, that fire begins to die down. And sometimes it burns down just to the coals. Jesus said, there's a fire on the earth, and how I wish it was kindled among you. That fire may die down, friends. My plea to you this morning is I want you to rekindle that sense of vision. Rekindle that sense of how God is so great and so wonderful. Sometimes, again, instead of looking up at the greatness of God, looking to the hills for our help, we can just kind of look down and we can just read today's headlines and we can just see the, the present moment. Friends, let's rekindle that sense of vision and what God can do. We're in Ephesians chapter uh, chapter three here. And Paul, well, Paul has a a mighty, mighty vision for the church. Uh, he is writing to a, a small church in Ephesus. Uh, there were probably no more than two, maybe three dozen people at this church. And it's an ancient church. Christianity had not been established throughout the world. Uh, and the city of Ephesus was kind of like the Las Vegas of its day. It was known for its revelry. It was known for its paganism. And those who were outside of the uh, the cultural norms, like Christians, were oftentimes persecuted. At best, they were insulted. At worst, they could be arrested and taken away. Right? And so Paul is writing this church in Ephesus, who, again, was probably meeting in somebody's house. Uh, they were 
uh, of, of vulnerable people. They had their backs against the wall. They didn't have any state support. They didn't have any community support. A lot of the people that Paul is writing to here uh, probably had been ostracized by their family. Right. So Paul is writing to this church with a mighty vision about what God can do. And I love how he spells it out. Listen to what he says here, starting in verse 14. If you've got Ephesians uh, 3, verse 14 in front of you, say amen. Well, that's all of us. There we go. He says, writing to this church, he says, for this reason, I kneel before the father. Verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Listen to verse 16 and think about the vision that Paul's trying to cast here. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let's go back up to, uh, to verse 15 here. Excuse me, verse 14. Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the father. Now, this would have been sort of a stunning thing for this congregation to read. The most common posture for a Jewish man at prayer in those days, uh, as Paul was raised Jewish, would have been to stand and to hold your hands out like this. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, footage of people praying at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, the Orthodox Jews. Uh, they'll, they'll stand at the wall and they'll, they'll pray like this. That's the posture. But Paul here, he says he is so overcome by the movement of the Holy Spirit. He's so overcome by God's power and God's presence and God's truth that says, for this reason, I kneel before the father. Let me ask you, church, just where you sit right now. And I don't need to see any hands up. I don't need to see any testimonies or anything like that. But what was the last time you were so overcome by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that you had to kneel down before him? What was the last time that your heart was broken and contrite before God that you allowed his power and his presence over you so that you could kneel down before him? Sometimes happens to me. It happens to you. Sometimes we get a little arrogant in our faith. Sometimes we get proud in our in our faith. And if we allow that pride to get inculcated, become part of who we are, well, we don't feel the need to, now, to, to bow down before God, to, to kneel before God. My plea to you this morning, friends, is with a broken and contrite heart, bow before God, because as long as you think you can carry something to God, as long as you think you can offer something to God that you're rich in the biblical sense, uh, you're not going to enjoy the full blessing of our God. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Paul is kneeling before the, the father, and I pray that you do, too. He says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. What Paul's trying to do here, he's trying to uh, qualify who God is to say who God is. Right? God is not just creator, but he is the sustainer of all things. All things flow from God. And in this passage here, it's kind of in between the lines. We can see some really, really good news. So my kids' names, I'll forgive you if you've already forgotten them. Sometimes I forget them. It's Lucy, Maggie, Oliver, and Hope. And we named our kids based on sort of a prayer for them, what we wanted them to be. Lucy, we named after the Latin word for light, Lucia, light that dispels all darkness, John chapter 1. So we want our little daughter Lucy to be a light. My daughter Maggie, uh, her name is Margaret. The name Margaret means treasure. We want her in a in a world full of 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 wastefulness and just, you know, uh, finite things. We want Maggie to be a genuine treasure in the world. My son, Oliver, he's nine years old. 
we named him Oliver after the olive branch in Scripture. It's an image of peace. And can I tell you, that one's not working out so well. He's a rambunctious little boy, but he'll get there, right? And then uh, number four, Hopi, we named her Hope because at that point we had hoped we wouldn't have any more kids. You understand? That's not true. It's from Romans 5, 5, which says, uh, for God's love has been poured out in our hearts. This hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts. So we are given names, aren't we? Uh, my last name is Mercadante. My dad was an Italian immigrant from a small uh, town outside of Naples. He was given a name. Can I tell you all some good news this morning? Every single one of us in Christ share the same name. And that name is Christian. And you might be young, you might be old, you might be rich, you might be poor, you might be Anglo, you might uh, be uh, not Anglo. Okay, none of that matters. It says in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. In Christ, we are one. And this world needs a unified church where the body of Christ, again, is marching forward, advancing the kingdom. Verse 16, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, that's a pastor's prayer right there. He wants the Holy Spirit to work and move in such a mighty way in the inner life of that church, friends. And that's what I want for you, too. What good would it be, church, if you went your entire life and you were really great on the outside and you came to church every week and you stood up and you sang the songs and you served on the committees and you had the smile on your face and you looked great on the outside. But inwardly, there was no Holy Spirit power inwardly. You didn't allow the Holy Spirit to work and move and convict you of your sin, of your unrighteousness. Jesus he, he lamented against the Pharisees who looked so good on the outside, but inwardly they were dead. He called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you're like, you're like tombstones that look great on the outside, but inwardly you're dead. He said, you're like, you're like sheep, or you're like wolves in sheep's clothing. You look gentle on the outside, but inwardly you're deadly. Friends, allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life in a new and fresh and powerful way. Pray with Paul. Have a vision for this, right? That out of God's glorious riches, out of his abundance, that he gives you strength through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. I wonder if some people here this morning are trying to handle the problems in their life with their own strength, with your own power. And that you're saying, you know what, I've got this obstacle, I've got this burden to bear, I've got this mountain to climb, but I can do it. As Christians, we know with a broken and contrite heart, that when we come to God and we allow the movement of his spirit, that God gives us a strength beyond our own. Stop trying to handle your own problems and give it to God. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Verse 18, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. And listen to these directions now. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Verse 19. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Go back to verse 18 here. And let's look at these different directions right quick. Paul says that he wants the church to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
And what Paul's vision for the church is, is that they wouldn't just have a narrow view of who God is, but that they would see God's great love in all different directions. And that's what I want for you this morning, to have a vision of the greatness of God in all of these different directions. Paul says to grasp how wide the love of Christ is. You know what that means? That means that the love of Christ can and should extend to all people. No matter where they come from, no matter their background. When Jesus was ministering to people in in the world, he went to the most vulnerable, to the most destitute, to the most outcast people first. Scripture tells us that Jesus, in his great and wide love, he went out to the countryside first. He didn't go to the the cities. He didn't go to the urban areas where all the posh, sort of snobby people were. (laughs) He went to a place like where I'm from in Randolph County, where there's more cows than people. He went out to 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 the outskirts, and he began to minister to the prostitutes and to the lepers and to the irreligious. Friends, this is where the gospel needs to go, to those who are hurting and abused, to the drug addict, to those who... Who have been neglected. Our great gospel is a light that overcomes all darkness. And if you have gotten, as I have at seasons in my life, this sort of narrow view about who the church can and should minister to, I plead with you this morning just to dispel that. The gospel needs to go to all people regardless of what they look like or what they think or where they've come from. The gospel of truth needs to go to all people. This is a wide vision of who God is and his love of Christ. So wide and then long. You know what that means? That means to have a vision of God's love over the whole course of your life, having a long view. Maybe you've heard that expression before. God has loved you every single Moment of your life, since the moment that you were conceived, since the moment that your DNA came together in your mother's womb, as it were, from the moment that your little heartbeat began to beat in the way it did, you are knit together in your mother's womb. And he had a plan, has a plan for your entire life. And so if you are going through this season in your life right now where things are down and you're not seeing many victories and it seems like a whole lot of pleading to God, you're not seeing any answers, can I just plead with you this morning to have a long view of God's great love for you. That God has not forsaken you. God has not forgotten you. That God's great love will persist with you uh, as, as many days as you have in this world. So a vision of God's love that is indeed wide and long and then high, right? Wide, long, high. You know what that means? To have a vision of our heavenly home. Raise your hand if you are getting sick and tired of the heaviness of this world. If you're sick and tired of hearing about, good golly, inflation. And I'm going to go ahead and buy my, are those cupcakes? Is that what they are? Easter eggs. Well, we can just load up the car before I go. It'll be great. But the price of everything's going up. People are at each other in a way today that they weren't just a few years ago. As we know, our world uh, is in conflict and there's a terrible, terrible war going on in Ukraine right now where actually evangelical friends have missionaries over there. Uh, Not to mention, uh, I don't know if you all had this in Virginia, but in North Carolina, we had this thing called COVID. You remember that? We get sick and tired of all the heartbreak and all the hurt and all the the pain in our family and the, the fractures in our relationships. And we have to say goodbye to loved ones that we care so much about. They pass away and it just hurts our heart so much. Friends, can we have a vision together that this is not our destiny? This world. Come on, church. This world is not our home. 
This is not where we're going to be forever, forevermore. Jesus tells us that I go and prepare a place for you, a house with many rooms. And scripture tells us that in that heavenly home, that we've got to keep that vision before us. In that heavenly home, there's no more weeping. There's no more night. There's no more tears. There's only eternal joy in worship. Boy, didn't we feel good this morning when we were singing praise to God with our hands lifted high and you get a taste of the Holy Spirit, right? One day, that's going to be a perpetual feast. And we're just going to be around the throne, every race, tribe, people, and language, singing holy, holy, holy. We'll be wearing white robes because we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. And we have this eternal home, friends. Don't get stuck in this moment because, friends, we are just pilgrims. Passing through. If you've lost that vision of your heavenly home, friends, reclaim it today. Rekindle it today. So, friends, finally, wide, long, high, and then deep. Deep. Paul wants the church to grasp the love of Christ in a deep way. And what, what this means is this is allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your heart, to work in your life in a powerful, present way. You know, we're called uh, we're called friends, uh, commonly called uh, Quakers. Now, what's uh, what's the thing when you tell somebody that you're a Quaker? If you do that, what's the first thing that people think of? The oatmeal. I've had people seriously ask me serious, straight faced if uh, on Sunday mornings we serve communion with oatmeal. Straight face. I'm not kidding. Uh, that's what people most rightly uh, most most quickly associate with Quakerism. But you know why we're called Quakers? Uh, in the uh, in the 17th century in England, uh, the church in England had gone completely stale. It was liturgical. It was uh, over formalized. It was intertangled with the state in really unhealthy ways. And there was this there was this man. He's 19 years old, somewhere around there. And he had this powerful passion to know God in the presence of his Holy Spirit. His name was George Fox. And he sought out, he had this restless heart. He wanted to know and enjoy God. And he went and talked to priests. He went and talked to pastors. He went and talked to some of the, 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 the fringe folks, the Anabaptists. And he, everybody he talked to just left him a little bit more dissatisfied. And he climbed this hill in Pendle Hill. It's called Pendle Hill in England. You can actually go there. Uh, he climbed this hill and he heard a voice from God. And that voice said, there is one, even Christ Jesus, who can speak to your condition. So what I was saying, there's, there's no help from, from the church. There's no help from these other counselors you're seeking. It's alone in Christ Jesus that you can find your help. And he came down that hill, and as he was coming down the hill, God gave him a vision for a, a great gathering of people. And so people began to gather around George Fox, and they would gather in quiet. They didn't have preachers. They didn't have music. They would just have these simple gatherings wherever they could find them. And friends, listen, in a deep and powerful way, the Holy Spirit began to move on them, and they began to tremble. They begin to shake. They begin to quake. Right. That's why they became known as the Quakers, because the Holy Spirit was reviving a people. Come on, church. Why not us? Why can't we tremble in the presence of the Holy Spirit again? Why can't we? Because God is gracious and present with us. When we open our hearts and do it together, we can be revived and I love a revival service, man. I love coming and preaching. I love, you know, doing the services of it. But revival is more than just planning an hour. Revival is when the Holy Spirit sweeps across the people. Have a vision for that, that God can work in a deep way, a deep way, revive our hearts. As I 
close out my message here, I want to share something with you that's really personal um, uh, and, and just kind of tell you how this vision for wide, long, high and deep has been lived out in my life. So uh, last year, my father, uh, his name is Al Mercadante, he passed away on July 24th last year. And my dad, uh, every day of his life was really, really hard. Uh, my dad had a debilitating uh, mental health condition that made everything in his life complicated, made everything in his life difficult. He had um, uh, bipolar disorder, and he was schizophrenic. And this is another sermon for another time, but when we're talking uh, about who the church should minister to, we need to minister to people who struggle with their mental health. Okay, That's, a, again, another sermon for another time. Dad had such a hard time. Throughout his entire life, he, he had a hard time being a husband. He had a very hard time being a father. He couldn't really hold a job. Uh, he couldn't keep a lot of friendships. It was just hard for dear old dad, you know. I think he did, he did the very best he could, but it was hard for him. And I remember when I got saved when I was 17, the first person I wanted to tell about the gospel was my dad. My dad, again, came from a small town outside of Naples, Italy. And uh, unfortunately, he was, um, he was a victim of abuse by his church. Um, his dad was abusive to him, not to mention he had this chemical unbalance that was making everything in his life unsettled. Dad had a hard life. Uh, and so whenever I would talk to dad about the gospel, he, he would just kind of, I don't say shut down, but he would put it off just as quickly as he could, sometimes casually, sometimes sternly. He didn't really want to hear it. He didn't want to talk about God. He didn't want to talk about Jesus. He told me he, he believed and he would recite a creed, you know, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, only Son. You know, he would, he would do that. He could say the words, right? But it was never a meaningful conversation we had. We never prayed together. And I labored with that for years and years. And so uh, fast forward to uh, July of last year, I um, went to go see my dad. And the previous months had been particularly uh, tough on dad. He, he had lost a lot of his ability to uh, to conversate and to talk. And um, some days he was really just kind of reduced to mumbling, you know, and we had him under hospice care and his body was emaciated. And leading up to that visit with him, every conversation had just kind of gone downhill. We couldn't really say much to each other. But I walked in and... Um, I walked into the, the, the room and uh, to see Dad, just have a visit with him. And my dad was sitting up straight, straight as an arrow. And as I walked in, he said, David, you're here. And I looked back and I said, Dad, <laughs> you know, I said, yeah, I'm here. And, and, and he, uh, he said, I'm so glad you're here. He was talking to me just like I'm talking to you right now. He's having a moment of clarity, right? And I thought, this is fantastic. I get to sit and visit with my dad, and we can talk back and forth. And so I sat down on his bed, and uh, I, the Holy Spirit impressed on my heart, let's have the conversation one more time. So I said to him, I said, Dad, I said, Dad, do you remember uh, what I do for a living? And he thought for a second, and he said, David, well, I'm thinking really clearly today. Uh and those are words that my dad had never uttered before. Understand, he had never had a clear day of thought in his entire life. He said, I'm thinking really, really clearly today. And he said, you're a preacher. 
And I said, yeah, Dad, I'm a preacher. I didn't want to boil down everything about leadership development director. I didn't have to go into all that. But yeah, I'm a preacher. When you boil it all down, that's what I do. And I said, Dad, I'm a preacher. And I said, I love Jesus with all my heart. I said, Dad, do you love Jesus with all your heart? And he looked back at me and he said, yeah, David, I love Jesus with all my heart. I love Jesus with all my heart. He said it twice. I love Jesus with all my heart. And I said, Dad, can we pray together? And I grabbed him by his hand. It was just skin and bones at that point. And I grabbed him by his hands. And uh, we, we prayed the prayer of faith over him. And I believe in that moment that my dad accepted Jesus Christ as Savior in the same way that I did when I was 17 years old. And I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit there in that hospice room. It was, uh, it was a worship service. Said amen and, um, and chatted just a little bit more and then I went on my way. That was in the morning of July 24th. My dad passed away that afternoon. That was the last conversation I ever got to have with him. And so you think about how wide the gospel is, right? Uh, that it can reach somebody like my dad. You think about how long God's love is over the course of our life. That moment covered a multitude of sins, didn't it? That moment covered so much because no matter what had happened before, I know where dad is now. It was wide. It was long. It was high. And I like to think about my dad there gathered right now around the throne. Right. Singing holy, holy, holy. Clear mind. Created just as God intended him to be. Full head of hair. That's how I imagine him. We're both stricken with this condition now. Right. But I, I love to imagine that full of life. Dad. Right. Wide, long, high and deep. And that my dad accepted Christ in some of the last moments. If you have come to the point, again, where you don't have that vision anymore of what God can do. And you feel like you're failing. And you feel like you're in a valley. You feel like you're stuck in the miry clay. Friends, together as a church, advancing the gospel, let's rekindle that vision. Would you bow your heads here with me? And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just... I feel the need in this moment just to give that simple invitation that was given to me and that I gave to my dad. That you could come to know Jesus Christ as your savior. Now you are you are welcome to stay where you're you're seated or you could come down to the altar. But if you've never made that confession of faith before, if you've never. If you've never made it to where you are sure beyond the shadow of a doubt. That you know God through his son Christ. Let today be the day. And you can just pray simply. God. I'm sorry for my sins. And I call upon the strong name of Jesus. To cover my sins. I recognize God that I can't do this on my own. And I need your help. And I want to be born again. If you're there in the, uh, in the pews this morning. And you have lacked that vision of what God can do. In ways that are wide and long and high and deep. I just implore you this morning. Maybe pick out one of those where you really want to see God working in your life. Where you're really calling out to God. Maybe you've lost a sense of how great the gospel is and how far it can go. Or you've got caught in a moment and you forgot that God is watching over the course of your life. Or you've forgotten about the heavenly promise that Jesus taught us about. You've forgotten about the deep, deep penetrating work of the Holy Spirit. In any one of those directions. If one of those is lacking in your heart and your life right now, I just pray that you call out to God and say, rekindle that vision. Rekindle how great you are. 
Whatever burden is heavy on your heart this morning, I just pray that you would lay it down at the foot of the cross and know that you are loved by a mighty and great God. Almighty God, we do thank you for this time that we can share together. Even though I'm a visitor here at this church, I feel right at home because I'm among family. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would shine a light on those places where there might be unencumbered sin and we're just allowing a sinful habit to rule our life. I pray that your Holy Spirit would heal whatever broken relationships or fractured fractured relationships. God, there's somebody in this room this morning, I know it, that has that family member that they have been praying for and praying for and praying for and they've been denying the gospel over and over again. God, I just pray that you would encourage that heart. And like the prayer of the persistent widow, that they would keep coming before the judge and pray without giving up. God, you can answer prayers right to the very last breath. We believe it and we know it. We cast our burdens before you, God, knowing you're good and faithful. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.